Thank you, Bethany. Romans chapter 6, please. Let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you tonight that we can be together in this place and that we can come and worship you, Father God, in spirit and truth. We thank you also that we meet online. And Father, we thank you for the wonders of technology and we thank you, Father God, for the joy of believers being able to worship you around your word and around your throne. And we do pray, Father God, tonight as we come together around your word, that you would quiet our hearts, that you turn our attention to the things of you, that, Father, we would learn from you, and that, Lord, we'd be blessed by the ministry of your word this evening. Give me wisdom, I pray, from on high, that I might uh, speak your word in truth. Lord God, that uh, what I say might bring glory to your name, and that, Father, you'd give us understanding of your word this night, that we might indeed um, praise you and honor you, as we leave this place this night. Give me wisdom, I pray. Bless as we pray. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm sure each and every one of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior are aware of the fact that none of us are sinless. And that the likelihood of us being sinless this side of glory is remote. But we also know that the Lord wants you and I as believers to have victory. Victory in our lives over sin, to live our lives free from sin. That is his desire, that is his passion. And it's also true that sin has not ceased to be an operating force in our lives. And we know that from Romans chapter 7 where the Apostle Paul in verses 14 to 21 talks about his own personal struggle with sin. He says, you know, the things that I would, I do not. The things that I would not, those things that I do. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin, the reality of the Christian life is there is a struggle with sin. No one acquainted with the story of David would deny that he was indeed a child of God. In fact, we're told in 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 14 that he was a man after God's own heart. Nevertheless, at times he allowed sin to bear sway in his mortal body. It was therefore understandable that the apostle urges believers here in Romans chapter 6 and 7 to constantly be on guard against the great danger of surrendering to the evil passions, to the evil desires, passions that are within, as in the case of David, which are often associated with the body and its functions. A body which is in man's fallen state tends towards sin and death. Now, all that's true, God desires for us to have the victory over sin. And the means of attaining that victory, according to Romans chapter 6, is contained in three words. The word reckon in verse 1, uh, verse 11, sorry, verse 11, sorry, in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, uh, is the word know. This is centered in the mind. Then the word reckon in verses six, chapter 6 and verse 11, this is to be the focus of the heart. Now tonight we come to the third word, yield, in Romans 6, 12 through 23. This focuses on the will. And yield is found five times in this passage in verse 13, where we read, neither yield your members as 
instruments of unrighteousness sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And verse 19, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. So the theme of these verses, verses uh, uh, 12 through uh, 23, are this matter of yielding. And the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ have broken the power of sin. And as believers, what stands before us is a real choice. We can now choose not to sin. And there are two questions that need to be asked when it comes to applying this third principle, this yielding to our lives. We must ask, how are we to yield? And we must ask, why are we to yield? Tonight we want to consider the first part of how. We'll conclude the how next week and then the weeks to come we'll look at the why. But we want to look at how we're to yield in Romans 6, 12 to 13. To count on what Christ has done for us at the cross of Calvary, we as believers have some serious decisions that we need to make. In fact, there's four decisions in these two verses, verses 12 and 13, uh, these three verses, 12, 13, 14 rather. There are four decisions decisions that you and I as believers must make. Two are negative decisions and two are positive decisions. If you and I are to have the victory, these four decisions we must make, these two negative decisions and these two positive decisions, are things that you and I must choose to do. And tonight we're going to look at the two negative decisions and the next Sunday morning we'll look at the two positive decisions in these three verses. The first decision in Romans chapter 6 and verse 12, is that we must decide not to let sin reign in our mortal body. Look what it says in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. We're not to let sin reign in our mortal body. In Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 11, Paul has laid out the principle of sanctification. Ending up with that, uh, with the word reckon in verse 11. And here from verse 12 onwards, he outlines the practice of sanctification, the doing part of sanctification. And here in Romans chapter 6 and verse 12, we're told that sin seeks to reign over us. And we know that because it says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Sin wants to reign over us. Sin wants to seize us in its power. That power has been broken because of Calvary and because of our relationship to Jesus Christ. The power of sin has been broken, but sin still wants to control us, still wants to seize the power in our lives as believers. And so we're told here not to let sin reign in our mortal body. The word reign is a command. And it could be translated, you must not let sin continue to reign as it once did. As sin reigned in your mortal body before you got saved, now that you are saved, sin is not to reign in your body and in my body as it once did. See, for although the, the dominance of the flesh has been broken, 
This does not mean that you and I have sin eradicated from our lives. The reality is, as we all know, we all suffer temptation to sin. Sometimes daily, sometimes weekly, but we all suffer temptation to sin. And therefore we need to remind ourselves often that the old sinful nature has been dethroned, that the divine nature has been imparted to us. To remind ourselves, as verse 6 says, that we're dead, the old man is dead. Knowing this, that the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. The old man is dead. That's the reality that you and I need to reckon to be true in our lives. Now that's the theory. That we are dead to sin, that you and I have been set free from the dominance of sin. Sin wants to seize the, the, uh, the power, but it doesn't have to because we have been set free. The old man is dead. But that theory, if we're going to have victory, if you and I are going to be sanctified, that theory has to be translated into action. And that action is our daily living. It's how you and I walk daily. In order to have victory over sin, our faith must act. It must produce a work, and that work is the surrender of ourselves to the Lord. And he spells that out for us in verse 13, at the end he says, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members and instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. You and I need to surrender ourselves to God so that sin will not have dominion over us. But let's go back to verse 12. And notice what it says here. He starts out by saying this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Paul begins with the phrase, let not. This is also a command. Let not. He's commanding us to not do something. Let not sin reign. It means we're not to allow this action to continually happen. Not only is it a, a, a command, but it's a command that says don't let it continually happen. Don't let it happen continually. Do not continue to allow sin to reign in your mortal body. Then he says, let not sin therefore. Because of what I've already told you, because of what I've told you in verses 1 through 11, that you are dead to sin, that sin's power over you has been broken, that the old man is crucified with Christ, and that you now have the indwelling Holy Spirit, because of what I've told you, sin is no longer your master. And because sin is no longer your master, you no longer have to sin. None of us have to sin anymore. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. The word mortal here is an interesting word, because this word means to die. So our mortal body is the body that is dying. It's this body, this flesh. This body of ours has indwelling sin, or sin dwelling in it. That's why it's mortal. That's why it will die. That's why it will go into the ground. That's why it will rot. That's why you and I need new bodies. When you and I are taken to glory, we will be changed and we will receive a glorified body. The reason is because this corporeal, this body, 
will die, will rot in the grave, and you and I need to receive a new glorified body to live for eternity. So he's talking about the flesh. And Paul says we should not let sin reign over our bodies. That's what he's declaring here. Don't let sin reign over your body. Now the word reign is another command, as I said earlier. So putting this together, he says, do not let it do not let sin continually reign over your body. Do not do it. Don't let it happen. Because you and I are now in Christ. So you and I have the power to refuse to let sin reign in our bodies. The word reign means to have legal authority. It carries the idea that it has force. This reigning suggests that because it reigns, it has force. And so the idea is this, that we're not to let sin be king. Not allow sin to force us to submit. We're not to allow sin to have the ascendancy in our lives. We are not to allow it to force us to submit to it. We need to bring it under submission because it no longer has the authority. Because when you and I allow sin to reign in our mortal body, what is the consequence? Well, look what it says in verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. When we allow sin to be king, when we allow sin to reign, when we allow sin to have the authority in our lives, when we allow it to have the force in our lives, then what happens when we submit to it, then the lust within us causes us to obey it and disobey God. Yet the old man is dead. And there is new life within us. We're free from sin. And yet, you know, many Christians never experience the freedom that is theirs because of Calvary. Sometimes it's because of unbelief, some because it's self-reliance, because we're trying to have the victory over sin in and of ourselves. You know, we put ourselves on a sin diet, and therefore we're not going to do this, and we're not going to do that, and, and we go along for a little while because we haven't done these things, but then we fall into sin again, because in of our own self-strength, uh, uh, we're trying to not sin. We're trying not to do those things. Or it might be because of ignorance, because they don't know that this victory is theirs. But many Christians never live in the freedom that Jesus Christ bought for us upon the cross of Calvary. And because Christ died, and because you and I are in Christ, sin should not reign in our lives, because when it does, we will obey the lusts thereof. And this phrase, that you should obey it in its lust, speaks of the result of letting sin reign in our mortal body. When we let sin reign, then we find ourselves constantly obeying its lusts. Of course, the word lust is desires, and James puts it in a different way. Let's go to James chapter 1. 
James chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You and I are tempted when we're drawn away of our own lusts. It's the lust that cause you and I, when, when sin reigns, when we allow sin to have the dominance, then our lusts cause us to obey it. Sin wants to be king. Sin wants us to obey its every desire. It wants regal authority over our lives. It wants to command us to feel all of its sinful desires. But what we're reminded here in Romans chapter 6 is that we are to remember that the dominion of sin has been destroyed. The kingdom of sin and the kingdom of death have been conquered by Jesus Christ at Calvary. We no longer live in occupied territory. We no longer are subservient to a sinful master. We were crucified with Christ. The old man is dead. You and I are not uh, captive in a foreign kingdom. You and I have been set free. You and I are in Christ. Christ is the new master. And our bodies must be put into their right place under Christ. We are to surrender ourselves to the Savior. We are to surrender ourselves to His leading. We are to surrender ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit so the sin does not continually take over. Paul Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 9.27 when he's talking about himself. He says, But I keep my body under and bring it in subjection lest by any means When I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The word castaway there means disapproved. Apostle Paul says, I refuse to let sin reign in my mortal body. I keep my body under, under submission to Christ, so that when I preach to others, I myself will not be a castaway. I will not be disapproved. You see, there is no excuse for the believer. The body is to be in subjection to us, not us to the body. Because here's where the battle rages. The the battle rages, the battlefield that you and I are fighting on, is a battlefield of the flesh and the spirit. The battlefield is our bodies. Look with me in Romans chapter 7 and verse 20, if you would please. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 20. Sorry, Revelation. Romans chapter 7, verse 20. Why am I in Revelation? I don't know. Romans chapter 7, verse 20. Now if I do that would, that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Therefore, there is therefore no condemnation on them that walk in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, 
but after the Spirit. There is a battle raging. The battle is raging in the flesh. And Paul asks the question, verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he says, Jesus Christ will deliver me. And then he makes this statement, So then with the mind I myself serve the Lord of God, but with my flesh the Lord of sin. There's this battle going on. To will is in the mind. I want, don't want to sin, but the flesh wants me to sin. Therefore, what's the answer? Well, verse 1 of chapter 8, There is no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. You see, we either let our members be instruments of unrighteousness or instruments of righteousness. And we do that by either yielding to the Spirit or yielding to the flesh. The victory is there for the claiming as you and I yield ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, allow the Spirit of God to take control, and we submit ourselves to His reign and leadership. And this leads to the second command that we must decide to obey. We must decide not to yield our members to sin. Look in 13a. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. We're not to yield our members to sin. He were told not to present parts of our body to the service of sin. He tells us, don't let any part of your body become a tool of wickedness. Don't allow them to be used for sinning. Now the phrase, neither yield your members, is another command. In fact, all the way through these verses are all commands. This is another command. And Paul says this, stop continually yielding your members. And he says, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. He says, stop yielding your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Do not yield all the time your members, day after day, hour after hour, giving up your members to sin and your enemy. Now members here is plural. which describes a limb or any part of the body. So what Paul means by your members is your body parts or the parts of your bodies. Let's make clear if you'll go to Romans chapter 12, please. Romans chapter 12 and verse 4. The same word members is used here. and describes what is meant by this word members. For as we have many members in one body... And all members have not the same office, so we be many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So the two verses here talking about members is talking about individual parts of a body, whether it be the spiritual body, the church, or whether it be the physical body, the human body, but it's talking about the individual body parts. It's clearly speaking about our body members. Go to 1 Corinthians 12, please. 1 Corinthians 12. Because in 1 Corinthians 12, it's defined even further for us because it makes specific mention of bodily parts. Look in verse 12, if you would. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body mean many are one, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized in one body, whether we be Jews 
or Gentiles will be bond or free and have, all be, have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, it is therefore not of the body. And if the ear shall say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole he- were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? Now, uh, but now are they many members, yet one body? And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary and those members of the body which ye think to be less honourable, unto these we bestow more abundant honour, and our come comely parts have more abundant comeliness, for our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honour to the part, that part which lacketh. Here he mentions body parts, the foot, the hand, the ear, the eye, the nose, the head, etc., So the expression here in verse 13 of Romans chapter 6, your members, is speaking of your bodily parts, your limbs, your members, your organs, the parts of your body, my body. Then he says, neither yield your members as instruments. The word instruments there is any tool or implement. But it's usually and most oftenly, if that's an English word, most often used as an instrument of war. And it can be translated weapons. Neither yield your members as weapons of unrighteousness unto sin. Parts of our body are weapons in the battle for right living. When the parts of our body are given to righteousness, they are weapons for good. When the parts of our body are given over to sin, they're weapons for evil. There's no better illustrated than the life of David. You know, when David stood up to Goliath, David's hands were used in the slave Goliath for righteousness. His body parts were used for righteousness. Now later on, sin used David's eyes for unrighteousness when he looked upon Bathsheba. And that's why we're told in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're to put on the whole armor of God. It's to protect the body parts from the attacks of Satan and sin. The word unrighteousness here in verse 13 is anything that is opposed to God's rule, God's reign, and God's way of life. Anything that's opposed to God is unrighteousness. And unrighteousness leads unto sin. So let's put it all together. What Paul is saying then is this. Do not continue to put your bodily parts at the disposal of sin as weapons of wickedness. Don't continually put your body parts at the disposal of sin as weapons of unrighteousness. Don't allow your body to be put at the disposal of sin. 
In other words, he says, don't take your weapons and give them to the enemy. Here in warfare, it would be foolish, wouldn't it, for a man or a woman who is in the battlefield to give over their weapons to the enemy. But that is exactly what happens when a person takes, for instance, the tongue, which ought to be used as a weapon of righteousness and uses it to wound somebody by speaking language that is hurtful, destructive, or gossip, whatever it might be. That's what happens when a person takes the eyes and puts their, that ought to be put in the service of the Lord, but puts them in the service of sin and looks upon that which is unrighteous. Or takes the ears and uses them to listen to gossip or that which is not good and not God-honoring. And you go through every part of our body, you know, these members of ours are subject to sin. Our eyes are the gate to the heart. What they see often causes us to sin. What we hear causes us to sin. Our tongue can often be an instrument of unrighteousness. And whenever we allow the members of our body to be used for unrighteousness, then you and I are giving them over to the enemy. We're taking our weapon, which is our flesh, and we're giving it over to the enemy and say, here, take it, use it for what you want. And Christ says, hang on a minute, you're in my kingdom. Your members belong to me. I purchased them with my own blood. I've given you the indwelling Holy Spirit to empower you. Now yield yourself unto the Lord, and then don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Don't let them be used by the devil. Don't let them be used by sin to have dominion over you. You see, what we're to do instead is to present and use our members of our body as weapons of righteousness unto God, which he says at the end of the verse, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, which we're going to see next week. It's been said of believers that the believer has a responsibility of keeping the flesh from mounting the throne of his heart, the place which is the Lord Jesus Christ should occupy. Here is the command of God for us that we're not to allow the members of our flesh to be dominated by sin. Now, when we get to the, part, the second part of verse 13 and verse 14, we're going to see how that is possible. How do we ensure that we don't do as it's telling us here? How do we ensure that we don't let sin reign in our mortal body, that we obey the lust thereof? How do we ensure that we don't yield our members of instrument unrighteous unto sin? How do we do all that? Well, the second part of the, the second two decisions we have to make are where we're told how to implement that in our lives. But here is the command tonight. You see, you and I as believers have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And we are urged here of the Lord to by faith appropriate the power of the cross, the power of the resurrection day by day in our lives and obey the word of God and remove our body parts from unrighteousness. You see, what the Lord is telling you and I here is this. You and I can choose to yield to the indwelling Holy Spirit 
or we can choose to yield to the flesh. The choice is ours. We can decide to allow sin to reign in our mortal body. We can decide to allow sin to use our members for unrighteousness. Or you and I can decide to yield our mortal bodies unto God and decide to yield our members for instruments of righteousness unto God. The choice is ours. And the empowering for that choice comes as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. See, victory will only come to you and I by yielding to the indwelling Holy Spirit, which we're going to consider next time. We're going to consider this matter of yielding ourselves, surrendering ourselves unto God, that we might have the victory. Because I didn't want to leave you tonight with the thought that somehow this is all what we have to do. These are decisions we have to make, but we make them in His strength. He gives us the empowerment to do this. He's already given to you and I all things that pertain to life and godliness. You and I have all that we need to be empowered to have the victory. Now you and I need to access that power that we might not allow our mortal bodies to be engulfed by sin and our members to be dominated by unrighteousness by yielding to the power of God. Today then, with God's help, let's seek to prevent sin from reigning in our mortal body. Let's seek with God's help to not let sin reign in the flesh. Now seek by God's power to present our body for the use of righteousness. Let's yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as we do, obtain the victory. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this night. We know, Father, we've really only looked at half the story. I do pray, Father God, that despite that, we might be able to appropriate uh, the principles that we've studied in your word tonight to our lives. And Lord, that uh, it become even clearer next week as we look at the second part of this challenge, these two positive decisions we need to make. Lord God, we might indeed live victorious lives to the glory of God. Bless now we pray as we close, in Jesus' name, amen.